0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter." so she went home, found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech. and They begged him to lay his hand on him. took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Efata, That is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Just before... The service this morning, Bill came up to me and said, you know, I was preparing to read this letter from James, and I, I just totally identify with what James is criticizing here. I've done this so many times. My response to Bill was, well, join the club, right? Beloved, with your acts of favoritism, to paraphrase, do you expect to glorify Jesus Christ. Favoritism is part of human nature, isn't it? Even with all our efforts here at Church of Our Savior to open our doors to anyone and everyone, we know, even without try, we tend to turn inwards and focus on the people we know, and if we're being honest, the people we like, and gently push the rest aside, or let them alone. Favoritism is part of human nature, and it's a problem that is not just common in the first century when the letter of James was written to an early Christian community. It's a problem in the 21st In fact, everywhere you look, it's a problem. Is it not? Insiders and outsiders. That's how we organize our lives. One of the earliest sermons I ever preached was about today's reading from Mark and the Syrophoenician woman. It's so long ago now, I feel like every time she comes back, it's like being visited, not just by an old friend, but by an old relative. You know, she comes knocking on the door pretty much once a year to pay us a visit. She is a remarkable figure for many reasons, starting which, of course, is the fact that Jesus' behavior in this gospel is absolutely shocking. Shocking beyond words. If we had any delusions about the meek and mild, frankly blonde and blue-eyed Jesus that so many of us have inherited from the tradition, this passage at least sets it on its head if it doesn't shatter it completely we have before us a very Semitic Jesus. A Jesus who knows who's inside and who is outside. And more than that, he is prepared to defend his own honor as a Jewish male living in the first century when he is approached by an outsider's outsider, a Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenician is a Greek description For a people who were descended from a large clan, if you like, or a people who had a network of city states around the Mediterranean prior to the Roman Empire. We owe them more than we know for several reasons. One of them is if you look closely at the words, yes, Phoenician is there, and you remember that other word that we are more often inclined to use, phonetic. There's a reason for that. The Phoenicians gave the alphabet to the Greeks, who gave it to the Romans, who gave it, guess what, to us. These are the people we owe for one of the earliest forms of our writing system. They're smart not to be trifled with. But by the time this story happens, they have been overrun by the Roman Empire. And more than that, Jesus would have recognized her not so much for being a Syrophoenician, that's Mark talking to his Greek-speaking audience, but as in the old Hebrew language, a Canaanite. Remember the tribes the Israelites drove out of the Holy Land when they came up out of Egypt. Or at least that's how the story goes. And that's what Jesus would have been taught from before he could even speak. You see what I mean when I say she's an outsider's outsider in Jesus' world. And she has the audacity to approach him publicly and put him on the spot, not just by what she says, we're all good people of words in our literate society, but by what she does. She bows down before him. She recognizes and embodies that recognition of his authority. He has no choice but to respond. On top of everything else, we get the sense that Jesus has gone to Tyre and Sidon to get away from it all. Well, guess what? The gossip network works faster than he does. It's better than the internet in some ways. It gets the word out faster than he can walk or move, and his reputation precedes him. Now, we could spend even more time unpacking what's going on potentially in Jesus' mind. And as he's trying to defend his honor in this, suffice it to say there's no way getting around that he insults her. Dogs in their world were scavengers and were unclean animals. Some commentators say he uses a word that's closer to puppies which may refer to her daughter, but still the insult is there and it's not going anywhere. That's an ancient way of him reclaiming his honor and his dignity in the face of his disciples. She knew what she was going to get when she went to him. Do you see how fast her turnaround is when he insults her? She knew what she would get. She knew how good, upright Jewish men behave towards Canaanites, let alone Canaanite women, let alone Canaanite women who approach the men in public and speak to them, let alone the ones who bow down before them, let alone those who ask something of them. You've been there, right? What happens when someone you don't like comes and demands something of you? What do you do? Do you behave better than Jesus did? What do you do when you're tired and somebody you don't like demands something of you? Do you behave better than Jesus did? (laughs) You could say we're in good company, right? But she's ready for him. She's smart. She's a daughter of her people. They were around a long time. And there's an old relationship here. It came up in the daily office readings just a week or two ago. One of the Syrophoenician kings, Hiram, knew David and Solomon a thousand years before this, And according to the biblical record, provided workers and materials to build not just David's palace, but the first temple in Jerusalem under Solomon. King Hiram ruled over the region of Tyre and Sidon, where this woman is from. So there's an old kinship here that she may be appealing to. Jesus may know this story as well. He may know that she has him, so to speak, over a barrel. After all, he's supposed to be inheriting the lineage of King David. But she has a simple request. Heal my daughter. Just those three words, as it's translated in our language, contains so much information about what she's willing to venture, like any good mother would. But more than that, the faith that she places in a man who has just insulted her. And like I said, she did her homework, she came prepared, and she turns the insult right around. Says, you know what? Even the puppies get to clean up the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She nails him. He's got nowhere else to go except to say, yes. We have lots of signs in the text that Mark's first audience, probably a Christian community living somewhere around Antioch, in the latter half of the first century, was caught up in that conflict that arose in those first few generations of the tradition about who's inside and who's outside. It's always a question. Especially when you're forming a community under threat. Joe Jennings and I were talking this week as we get ready for classes that are going to be looking very closely at the Gospel of Mark starting the middle of this month. And we were talking about the sense in which this community has already experienced persecution, quite probably under the Roman Empire. It's possible by the time this is written, the second temple has already been destroyed and Jerusalem has been razed to the ground by the Romans. At the very least, the Jewish insurrections are at a very high crescendo at this point. So much so that the Romans are worried they're going to lose everything to chaos. So they're going to come back in at some point inevitably and reimpose order. What does that mean? Well, it means for this little sect of Jews who have decided that Jesus was the Messiah, the future is most uncertain because everyone now is hunkering down and asserting their own claim on the future of the tradition. And so Mark's community is under threat, or has lived under threat. And there are probably members of that community who were taken out by the soldiers and never came back. Members of that community who might have died in the destruction of Jerusalem or in the insurrections. Family members and beloved people who are gone forever. and No one is quite sure whether the tradition will be around for another ten years, let alone another generation. Is it tempting in stressful moments like that to figure out who's in and who's out? (laughs) You better believe it. That's how you survive, right? You need to know who you're going to trust and who you need to lie to and to whom you can entrust the truth of your heart. When everything else is up for grabs, you have to figure out fast how you're going to survive and with whom. It's the first century equivalent of grabbing your go bag when the evacuation order comes in. Mark is suggesting to this early Christian community that in fact, The arrival of the Messiah signals a new kind of life. He's signaling to the Jewish community that Jesus is out there ahead of them, healing Gentiles, the outsiders, and Canaanites, the outsiders' outsiders. He does that two ways, of course, with the story of the Syrophoenician woman, but then with the story of the man who probably also was a Gentile back in the Decapolis, close to where Jesus grew up, where Jesus opens his ears and opens his mouth. Any good Jewish reader would have immediately recognized the hallmarks of the prophecy Isaiah that we heard today. We have to have it read to us. They probably wouldn't have needed it read to them. They knew those prophecies well, and they recognized the fingerprints of the Messiah in that act. But even more than that, Mark is teasing us a little bit, because if you've been reading Mark at all before now, you know that it's the disciples who don't get it, who can't hear, who can't say the right things, who have no idea what's going on, and it's these outsiders, like the Syrophoenician woman and this man who is deaf and mute, who understand. So much so that they are the first to receive the divine touch that Jesus brings. Mark is telling. His Gentile audience to be faithful, they are in already, and his Jewish audience to open up the doors and forget all that you were programmed with growing up culturally. Something else is happening here, and everyone you thought was on the inside actually isn't. There are no more insiders anymore. What does that mean? What does it mean for us as a 21st century Christian community in southern Marin living in a comfortable, affluent community when we think about our neighbors who are not so comfortable and affluent as we? Our neighbors who may not even look like us. What does it mean? that there are no longer insiders? This is an old question. One way I know it's old is because by the third century, the Syrophoenician woman had been granted by the tradition a name, justa, a Latin name, justice. What does she tell us about insiders in these days of crisis? Maybe the same thing that Mark was telling his audience in Antioch in those days of crisis. There are no more insiders when Jesus comes to call we bow down and give our lives over to the healing power of the divine. When there are no more insiders, there are no more outsiders either. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. Thank uh. you.